Kelly and I saw Jungle Cruise last uh, night. How was it? I've heard it's very it was fun. so fun. It's just a treat. That's Dwayne and uh, Emily Blunt, right? Yeah, and a third guy. Taika Waititi? It's not Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. You know, throwback to our first episode, Ian. Does Pirates of the Caribbean have a lot of throwbacks to the ride it's based on? Because I've never been on that ride either. So but it's I've... weird because the Pirates of the Caribbean movie is based on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Right. But after the success of the movie, they went back to the ride and mm. added Johnny Depp oh. as like Jack Sparrow. Animatronic Johnny Depp? Or like... Yeah, they like took... I don't know what they had beforehand, but they replaced it with a Johnny Depp looking... Okay. So you haven't Jack been on Spiro. the original ride? No, the original ride, I guess, is probably long gone. Now it's basically you go through and it's just like a pirate tale. You, okay. you go through and pirates attack a town oh. and Jack Sparrow is there running around. Yeah. There's like, I guess there are some things like um, the guy's holding the, the bone for the dog and the dog has like the keys. Mm-hmm. Like that scene makes an appearance. But other than that, there aren't big throwbacks. Okay. And nothing that I recall from the movie itself. But anyway. Anyway. Welcome everyone back to Reference Frames Podcast, the physics podcast where Will and I seek to make the fun, fun world of physics a little more understandable through the medium of media. Media. Right? Is that? Yeah. (laughs) That's my best introduction. There it is. Well done. Well, you know, I'm proud of you. What we're going to do is we're going to, Will will take a famous scene of some variety or something, uh, some famous pop culture. He will present that scene using his best theater of mind experience for us. And then we will talk about a physics principle that is present in that scene and try to make you help you understand the way our world works, which is very exciting. But before we get into the meat of the episode, we have to go to the corrections corner. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, do we have any corrections this week? You know, I'm sure I did a lot wrong last week in our... Um... <laughs> In a relativistic one, but I didn't. Right. I didn't get any corrections that I'm aware of. So, yay, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're being held accountable because, frankly, I'm sure I made a lot of errors there. <laughs> um, I am not a, a not a relativistic physicist that to my uh, any degree. So, I didn't get any uh, severe feedback on the accuracy of the physics of the episode. Good. I will say I rewatched the movie um, after recording and. You know, still holds up. I mean, the physics is, is spectacular in it. I will say, I mean, there's certain parts that I was like, you know, maybe 10 minutes of that entire movie I'd rather were just, were just removed. I think it'd be a better film for it. But overall, great film. Great film. It's I think it's enjoyable the whole way through. Oh, yeah. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. You get a surprise Matt Damon near the end. How nice is that? Oh, yeah. How, how nice is that? So nice. Everyone's here for a surprise Matt Damon. The best kind of surprise. Other than like Taika Waititi. That'd be a good surprise as well. Take away TD if you're out there and you want to surprise us on this podcast. Yeah, hop on the pod with us. Come on, man. DM me. Do you want to get right into it? Let's Should we right just kick it. it? Let's kick it. Kick it All in right, gear. let's kick it. All right. <clears throat> the world is at war for the first time in its history. A young British army lieutenant stationed in Cairo has been tasked with assessing the prospects of an Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire. First, however... Young Thomas Edward Lawrence must cross the desert to meet with Prince Faisal, a leader of the revolt. Led by his Bedouin guide Tafas, they make a brief stop at a well to refill their water skins and let their camels drink their fill. While Tafas hauls the water to their camels, Lawrence casually flings himself down onto a small rise to recline and kill time. He fiddles with his army commission compass 
and whistles softly to himself, seemingly enjoying bathing in the desert sun. Until, that is, a loud splash from behind him grabs his attention. He peers back over his shoulder to see Tafas, standing over the well and staring at the horizon as if he's seen a ghost. From out of a small sandstorm on the horizon, a wavering black form seems to float mystically off the ground, flickering like a black flame above the horizon. The two stand alert, watching for over a minute as the hazy apparition slowly resolves, sinking until tethered to the ground and gaining definition as a man garbed in black atop a camel riding towards them. Recognizing the mysterious figure, Tafas flees for the saddlebag and grabs his revolver. But before he can level his pistol, he is slain by a single well-placed rifle shot for the mysterious rider. Upon the stranger's arrival, possibly one of the greatest introductions of a character in film history concludes with simply, he is dead. And there we go. That's a scene Ooh. from Lawrence of Arabia. Ooh. Classic. A classic. It's haunting. You sent me that clip mm-hmm. uh, the other day. I said, hey, have you seen this clip? You might want to see this clip. <laughs> The part where he flings himself down on the rock. He's just chilling out. He's, he's like, I'm sort of bored here in the desert. I think I might have myself a bit of a lay down. Exactly. Just chilling out. <laughs> as British as can compass. be. <laughs> I know. Just, he blows some sand off of it. You got to check team. and see what direction we're facing here. Hmm? It's so... That really, so, I was like, what? what is this? Why is he doing this? He's having a great Does, time, you know. Well, Tafas has got the water, so... It doesn't yeah. look comfortable. Yeah. I mean, he it's was like riding on a camel sand. for hours, so maybe it's better than that. I don't know. Anyway, Ian. Yes. What is your prediction? What do you think? What do you think we're talking about today, based on that scene? Well, is something that's prevalent is in the scene. <laughs> nice. A compass is something that's prevalent in the scene. But how are we going to talk about the thing that overshadows everything in that scene? Is when they're looking towards the horizon and the rider is seemingly floating. Hmm. You know, sort of like the reflection off the ground, right? Like the, um, I don't know, mirage, I guess. Like when you're looking along a hot road and you get that. That's my best description of what the light is doing. Yeah, that that is 100% correct. And that is also um, the exact sound that mirages make. Um, so, well done. Wow, I nailed it. I think we can wrap up the podcast yeah, here I think in we're 13 done. minutes. We're done here. Nice job. Check. Um yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Exactly right. Today we're talking about mirages. Um, I mean, you, you can maybe have a few different things we're talking about, but like you know, refraction, which is the reason for mirages to exist, and also for Ma's theorem, which is kind of the physics behind it. Oh. Um, so it's gonna be pretty fun. So first off, though, it's worth pointing out there's actually two different varieties of mirages. We'll talk about both of them. Um, the first is the one that we're seeing in this scene. That's kind of the classic oasis vibe for a mirage, or the one on the road. Um, that's mm-hmm. called an inferior mirage. Uh, and then there's a superior mirage, which is uh, a mirage that is often seen at sea. And we'll talk about what that looks like um, as we go. But uh, these types of phenomena, these kind of illusory sort of flickering, wavering images and things like that, um, the appearance of the sky on the land, um, it all has to do with uh, refraction of light. And the way we're going to talk about that is through uh, Fermat's principle. So Pierre de Fermat was a, a French physicist, um, and and his principle basically says uh, it's really really neat. It's kind of really interesting, but it basically says um, that in its strong form, that light travels along whatever path or paths that takes the least amount of time, 
And there's a weak form that's like the more specific form. Um, we're not going to get too into that because um, it's a little more, requires a little bit more math to kind of get into. But just the basic idea is that light tends to take the path or paths that take the least amount of time to get wherever it's going, um, which seems to describe some sort of a, a decision-making of light, which is always kind of interesting and fun to think about. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in general, right, when we think about light normally, like a laser or anything like that, typically we think of it traveling in a straight line path, right? It kind of goes from A to B as fast, you know. And right, because it's light. Right, because it's light. It travels in straight lines. And, you know, that is, like, a straight line is the fastest way to get to somewhere, right? Um, but that's only true if you're in a homogeneous medium. So, in, in this case, like, if you're in uh, a plane of glass or an air or something like that, you shoot a, a laser, it'll always go in a straight line, because that's the fastest way to get from where the laser pointer is to the wall or wherever you're pointing it at. Let me ask you real quick uh, to mm-hmm. define homogeneous. Oh, homogeneous just means uh, wherever you look in it, you'll always see the same properties. So, it's, like... Um, evenly distributed, evenly everything. Everything's the same no matter where you look with it. Great, so, thank you. Yeah. Continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but the issue is if you have a heterogeneous medium, which is where it's not all the same, where it has differences, that can cause um, light to bend. And what that uh, that's referred to as refraction when light bends. Um, and we'll talk about how it actually happens and like the explanation for why it happens. But it's all because in certain different media, light has a different speed. And that cause, that's what causes it ultimately to bend. Um, and so that bending, according to Fermat, is because the straight line path is no longer the one that takes the least amount of time. And so how to explain that? Richard Feynman actually has a great example about kind of an example to kind of get your head around this whole bending of a path being faster than a straight line path. So here's his example. Imagine you are a lifeguard at a beach, right? You're sitting in your tower on your chair, keeping an eye on everybody, make sure everybody's safe. And off to your left, you see someone in the water, you know, maybe 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet in, who's signaling for help. Maybe they're having, maybe they're getting tired, they're having difficulty swimming, but they need some help. So you want to get there as fast as possible. You want to take the least amount of time to get to them because that has the least chance of them, you know, drowning or experiencing any, any um, difficulties, right? However... As a human, you're much faster running than you are swimming. So you know you'll be much faster on the sand than you will be once you get into the water. So if you think about that, the straight line path to your left is going to spend a lot of time in the water. And in fact, if you just run a little bit further along the beach, you're going to be in a more direct path through the water that will take, you'll be spend less time in the water. Does that make sense, Ian? Can I yeah. This? Oh, yeah. Especially when I think about my my land speed is so much faster than my water speed. Oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. like I wouldn't like swim across the long end of a pool, right? Right. To get to the the root beer on the other side, exactly. I'd walk yeah. around. Yeah. So you want to basically minimize the amount of distance you have to spend in the water, or the amount of yeah the amount of tra- cover in the water, and so that basically means that your path will be a little further to the left than the straight line path. You want to spend more time on the on the sand. And then kind of a, you know, you take a right turn into the water to get there as fast as possible. So that path takes the least amount of time for you, and it's definitely not a straight line path, right? So that's basically the same idea with a light. Um, if it's, if it, the light has different speeds in different media, right, it'll spend, it'll take a longer distance in the faster medium and a, and a shorter distance in the slower medium. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Great. So with mirages, it's all about different air temperatures, so 
first talk about the inferior one, the kind of oasis mirages you were talking about earlier, the one we're seeing in this scene. So in those situations, like in a desert or on a hot tar on a hot uh, asphalt road, the air right next to the floor, next to the, the road, next to the desert, sand, is much warmer than the air maybe even a few feet up. All right? And what do we know about air when it gets hot, right? It expands, right? When it gets cooler, it, it, it um, decreases in volume. When it gets hot, it expands into volume, right? Mm -hmm. And light travels faster in air that is less dense. So if, if the air is expanded, there's less air particles for the light to have to deal with. So it goes faster if the air is hotter. All right? Okay. So, so what that means is that light potentially, like with the sand and the, and the water, it will go faster if it runs along the ground than if it's going through the colder air. Right? right. So what that means, if you're looking across a desert, right, the light coming from the sky to your eye will actually get to your eye faster if instead of going straight towards your eye, it actually does like a weird kind of arcing downwards path along the ground into your eye. Right. And so what you're seeing, you're seeing the, the light from the sky, which is, you know, blue sky or whatever, but it's not coming from the sky. It's coming from below the horizon, right? Because that's the angle it's coming at your eye from. So you see sky below the horizon. And, you know, it usually looks like water because, like, why else, why, else, why else would you well, see a reflection of the, on the sky? ground? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it so, has that shimmer to it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. But that's where the whole Oasis mirage mm. thing comes from. Yeah. So that also leads me to say, it's, so the... What looks like the rider in that scene is floating above the ground. Mm -hmm. In reality, is the appearance of sky below the rider. Exactly. 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 Which is really Ooh. cool, right? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. All right. So that's the inferior mirages where the okay. air near the floor is hot, right? Yeah. For the superior, you'll never guess, it's when the air near the floor is cool compared to the air above it. And so this usually happens at sea, often near the polar regions, right? Where the water is super cold and maybe the air is, is a warm front that's come in. So the, so the air right next to the water has been cooled down by it, but the air above hasn't yet because they haven't managed to convect into each other yet much. Mm -hmm. So in that case, the exact opposite happens, right? Light will travel faster if it goes above, right? If it wants to go above the cool air because it travels slower in the cool air, right? Right. So this causes a similar illusion, but instead of seeing things lower than they actually are seeing the air below the horizon you start seeing things that are actually at the surface of the water above the surface of the water so you'll see ships floating in the air or you'll see things even beyond the horizon um, because the the light is able to arc over the horizon because it wants to arc upwards right you right. actually see things that are beyond the horizon appearing in the sky oh come on yeah and so these superior mirages are actually uh, often called fata morgana mirages uh, which is uh, uh, Italian for the name of Morgan Le Fay, King Arthur's uh, famous sorceress half-sister that you're probably familiar with. Of um, course, we all are. We're all familiar, of course. Um, so, <laughs> so the name comes from, in the Straits of Messina, sailors would often see these superior mirages. And back in the day, um, they would often say that they saw, you know, they were trying to make sense of these things they're seeing, right? So they see these ships up in the sky, they see these... Um, stretched and distorted images of like buildings and towns and things like that, ports even from across the horizon, but you know far closer than they actually are. Right. And they would say that they were seeing these floating castles or or even false land that's been conjured up to try and lure them to their doom, kind of thing. Um, so so these are often called Fata Morgana mirages, and they're basically the opposite of um, an oasis mirage. 
which is kind of right. pretty cool. So, oh, man. That's how that? Just... Pretty cool, right? And it's all about, you know, cool air, hot air, faster in the hot air, cool, slower in the cool air. Pretty wow. cool stuff. So, exactly right. Let's tie it back into the scene. Yeah. Right? So, you're exactly right. What we're seeing here, so this mysterious figure, whose name is Sh- Sharif Ali in the movie, he's approaching in the heat of the day, right? So, the, the desert sand is blistering hot. Though apparently not for <laughs> Lawrence. T.E. Lawrence is sort of <laughs> relaxing on it. Exactly. But, you know, it's really hot. And it's worth pointing out, this movie was filmed before practical, before CG, right? So everything was practical. There was an actual mirage on that day. They did all this work to, like, get on a day that's hot enough. They were able to film it. They shot it all in one shot. It's really, oh really gosh. impressive filmmaking. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he's shimmering. And he's floating because the sky above slash behind him is kind of going underneath him. Uh, kind of arcing underneath him along the floor and coming up into... T.E. Lawrence's uh, eyes. And, you know, as he gets closer, right, he begins to resolve and everything becomes normal looking because at that point, that extra distance in the arc is no longer faster. It doesn't get there in less time anymore. So it kind of doesn't travel that way anymore. So for Moss has no more deal. No deal. No no deal at all. No more extra speed. So the light comes straight to him. And now he's just a guy. He's just a guy. So Ian... You don't yes. have to say mirages necessarily, because we've already talked about a few situations, but this kind of idea of light bending, maybe. Do you have any uh, real-world examples you might have? I th- this one's on edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, hear me out. Cathode ray tube mm. televisions. Do we count this? This is sort of different, isn't it? It's sort uh, of using E-fields to bend. Yeah, it's not light. actually... Yeah, I, w- I would say it's different, but... Um, if you want to talk about it, you All can right. anyway. Another time. We'll talk okay. about it another time. Oh, yeah. Time. We'll talk about that a different time. That'd be fun. Here's an, ex- here's an example for you to maybe get you going. Yeah, get, get my mind warmed up. We use this in all the time. So we bend light for our own purposes constantly, right? So any lens, right, either in our eyes or glasses or ma- microscopes or, or macroscopes, telescopes, that's the word, um, right, all those things are bending light. And they're bending it because the glass is makes uh, light go slower in the glass and does in the air. And that's why it bends and is able to focus and, you know, all that fun stuff. So if anytime you wear glasses, you're using um, Fermat's principle. Did you know we have muscles in our eyes mm. to pull and stretch and compress our lens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah. changes how the light bends and focuses on the, other, on the other side of your eyeball, which lets you look at things close or far away. Yeah, how cool Prior is that? Prior to right? my LASIK... They um, paralyzed those muscles for some oh. tests they had to do. And so for actually, it was like a full day afterwards. Uh, my eyes, I had fixed focal length eyeballs. What? So I could not focus. I, I could focus only at a certain distance away. It was very strange. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was very weird. And I could tell that my eyes, like, you can't, you kind of focus second nature at this point, but you can kind of tell when your eyes are doing something to focus. Mm. And I could tell that my eyes didn't do that anymore. All right. Do you have any others? Or I have one more. It's kind of a funny okay. one. So we have lens. Uh, give me your other one. Okay. Let's hear it. It's what I'm calling the pickle jar illusion, which is that pickles in a pickle jar tend to look a lot bigger than they actually are. <laughs> so they're like, it's like false advertising. Um, and that's because of the bent glass and like light being stretched and distorted. Um, that that's that's the funny one I had. Just pickles look bigger than they actually are. Oh, though, um, though it actually depends on if you fill the the jar with a different material than the vinegar solution it's in, you can actually get it to 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 change the size because it all depends on like how fast light can travel in it, right? So if you change how fast light can travel in the fluid, 
it'll change how much it gets bent, which is pretty cool. I think I would prefer my pickles to look smaller. A little happy surprise every time. Yeah, and then when I take them out of the jar, they'd be bigger. And I'd be like, oh, thank goodness, this pickle is way bigger than I was anticipating. <laughs> it kind of reminds me as well as, um, what was it, Hatchet? He makes a, a little spear for fishing. Oh, yeah. And he has a lot of trouble spearing fish because he starts out of the water. And he's always missing the fish as he's going in. It's less, a, this is more of a... No, that's exactly so, on point. 100%. Hooray. And so he gets better at spearing fish when he starts with the tip of the spear in the water already. Exactly. exactly. So he has a better eye of where the spear's going to land. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a great example. That's pretty much what I got for the, the for Ma's principle. I think it's really neat. The whole light going faster, if it can. And actually, I, I have a link. Um, we'll put some links in there for as well. There's there's a link for, for uh, Feynman's lecture where he talks about this. Um, and then a few other links where it talks about, you know, various things with this. And, of course, we'll leave the scene from... Mm-hmm, of course. Is the movie Lawrence of Arabia? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave that in there. But other than that, I think we can move on to questions from the audience. Oh, boy. What do we got this weekend? We got, we got a good one today from our good friend, Snakes Without a Plane. Snakes Without a... What a name. <laughs> what a name. Um, emailed me because he is Twitter free. Oh. So I'll let everyone know the email in our plug zone. Heck yeah. uh, he says, <clears throat> hey, boyos, longtime listener, first time writing from Madison, Wisconsin. What is the physics behind snakes that glide? How do they glide without wings? And that's kind of a fun question. It's a great question, snake without a plane. Uh, and actually, it's not a settled question. Um, but I do like the fact that you said glide and not fly because they certainly can't fly. They're called flying snakes. But they fall with style. Um, they fall with style, exactly right. Yeah. So, so actually, it's interesting. There's actually a paper that came out in 2020 that's and that's looking at this. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's have nothing better to do in 2020. It's current research. So, well, people don't know. That's that's the thing. So, like, great question, first of all. But the experts don't know. Um, no one knows for sure. This paper that came out in 2020, which again, um, I'll, we'll link a video that talks about it um, uh, from the New York Times, where they're kind of like talking through the, or it's an article talking through the 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 paper but basically they did this paper to try and study like because snakes were seen to be doing this weird undulating thing these flying snakes whenever they're falling with style um and normal snakes don't do that and so they were like well maybe that has to do with why they're able to you know fly across such distances and it, it does so it turns out they kind of do this like wobbling both uh, vertically and horizontally their whole body kind of wiggles back and forth and uh they found using a lot of simulations um that that actually serves to stabilize their flight so basically, they're able to fly farther because they're they're not rotating and falling and like flailing all over the place. They're actually generally facing the right direction the entire time, and they're also flatten their bodies um, to create like a more flat plane, sort of like a parachute or even a I wouldn't say a wing because it's not really using the same principle, but sort of like a trying to slow down its fall as much as possible by actually flattening itself in the air. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, there isn't actually a set uh, known reason for uh, how they're able to to do that. Just, we know a few things. What a bizarre animal. I know. I know. Yeah, pretty cool, though. I mean, I don't want a flying snake falling on me. That'd be terrifying. Well, I don't want any kind of snake falling on me, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, matter. it could be flying. It could be not flying. It's true. Isn't that how a constrictor snake gets you? They fall on you? I feel like there are any number of ways constrictor <laughs> snakes could get me. Get thrown at you, catapulted, you know, trebuchet, why not? Instead of dead cows, they could throw. Just big snakes. Big Just old snakes. Catapult loads of snakes. I think we're giving yeah. our, ni- our audience nightmares. Yeah, sorry, audience. Thank you. Snakes Without a Plane. That's all we got this week. If you want to send us a question, which we love to hear, 
you can do that by either tweeting at us at Podcast Frames or, this is hot, this is new, you could also email us. Oh, boy. And our email is referenceframespodcast at gmail.com. Very simple. Just the name of our podcast at gmail.com. Send them in. Yeah, send us your questions. Send us your comments, your corrections. We've received officially one fan art. Really? That I tried to make the Facebook profile or the Facebook cover picture. And Facebook was like, nope, it's just going to be your profile picture. I was like, I don't, okay. I got to do it from my computer, not my phone, I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's exciting. Send in some more art. And some questions. We, we, we like engagement. We like engagement. Yep. That's what we want. We want engagement. We want ideas. We want everything. We're crowdsourcing our whole content creation thing. Uh, if you like this podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help support us. The biggest one is passing on your favorite episodes to your friends, your family, strangers you meet on the street, mm. um, anyone in your pottery class. Alternatively, you can leave us reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. I think also maybe Google Podcasts does reviews. If you want to, that'd be great. I've heard it's hard to make an account, so whatever. Oh. If it's not worth it, then don't waste your time. Go go do something exciting with your life. I got a little... So, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Here we go. He, he is a great... We can do this as we're going out, but uh, he's a great Maine-based poet, or was a great Maine-based poet, very famous in his day. And he actually wrote a poem named entitled Fata Morgana. I just wanted to read the last two stanzas because they're kind of fun. So I wander and wander along, and forever before me gleams the shining city of song in the beautiful land of dreams. But when I would enter the gate of that golden atmosphere, it is gone, and I wonder and wait for the vision to reappear. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>